0: Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It's good to have you here today. We are beginning a brand new series called Exodus. And so this is a great week for you to be here. Um, And we will be looking at Exodus and trying to find our story in the story of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Exodus. It's the second book, so it's way at the beginning. It goes Genesis And then Exodus. And if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch of them in the lobby and you can have them for free. I think it's great if everybody has a Bible. Um, I like the paper copy because I like to write in it. I like to underline stuff. I like to highlight things. I like to write in the margins. But that's probably because I'm old. Um, My kids tell me that they can highlight and write on their Bible online, but I don't know how to do that. So, so I like the paper copy, but that's just me. Um, so, book of Exodus, all right? A story that we're going to try to find ourselves in. And we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground today. But Exodus really, it, it talks about a group of people who journey from Egypt, like the video said, to the promised land. And even in the New Testament, um, one, one of the authors, actually he wrote 13 books in the New Testament, Paul, He wrote this about the Old Testament, what we can learn, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples, or we could even say warnings, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So even the the New Testament, the next books later on, talk about how we can learn from the beginning books and the stories that God gives us about life and the warnings there's a specific group of people that we're going to learn from, and they were the Israelites. Okay, this this group of people, they were God's chosen people, is, is what the Bible says, and they were chosen to represent him in the world and be a source of his blessing to the people of the world. So what we want to do today is we want to figure out how does our story match with their story? Can I see myself in their story? So, Let me set the stage. Genesis is where the Bible begins, and it's really where the story begins. And God is presented to us as the creator of all things, including Adam and Eve, all right? The first two people of the human race. And Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and this ushered in sin. And it really put all of mankind under the curse of sin. Genesis then into Exodus begins this story of how God creates a group of people, blesses a group of people, and ultimately his story is woven through this group of people, the Israelites, until he sends Jesus who came from that lineage and Jesus was a savior of the world. So this is the beginning of the big Story. God chose this, this nation, Israel. Um, it was a group of people begun by a, a man named Abraham, who, who then had a son, Jacob. Jacob uh, was also known as Israel. That was his nickname, or his, his name given by God. And so when we pick up the story in Exodus chapter one, Jacob's son Joseph has become very, very important. In, Egypt. in fact, he's become the second in command. The Israelites, the, this, this family, had moved to Egypt because there was a famine and they needed food. So, Exodus chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, or Jacob, who, who went to Egypt with, with Jacob, each with his family. So, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher, the descendants of Jacob, numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. So let me set the stage. We have a group of 70 people, a family, a big family. There's a famine in the land. They can't find food. They all relocate to Egypt, where there is food, and a son, Joseph. Okay? So, 70 people. Verse 6. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Okay, so a couple things to remember here. First of all, this family is 70 people. Okay, so a family of 70 move to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. Secondly, verse 6 starts with the word now, which would say, okay, that story we, we left you with in Genesis continues into Exodus. So if you were reading this, as a, as a storybook, you would say, okay, chapter 1 is Genesis. It set the stage for chapter 2, which is Exodus. These are to be read together. Now, what's happened? And just so you know, there's been 430 years since the end of Genesis until Exodus 1. So, so we're picking up the story. In that time, there were a lot of babies born. <laughs> okay, that's what it says. It says that th- these people became exceedingly great in number. Numerous. In fact, Exodus 12.37 tells us that there were probably close to 2 million of them. Uh, Exodus 12.37, it says that there were 600,000 men plus women and children. So it's a huge group of people. Massive group of people. Let's continue reading. Verse 8. Then a new king... To whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said of, to his people, "The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, and they will, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, it will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them." "...with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh." So here's what happened. Some pharaoh, 430 years later, said, I don't know this guy, Joseph. Now, Joseph had done some great things for for Egypt. He had told that there was going to be a big famine, and he had asked the pharaoh back then to save up food because it was going to last seven years. You can read more about that at the end of the book of Genesis. Now, 430 years later, this pharaoh comes to command and he says, I don't know this guy, Joseph. Who cares? I'm just looking out my window, seeing a couple million Israelites and thinking, there are too many of them. If something goes sideways, they could join with our enemy and we'd be in trouble. Logistically, that's a problem. So what does he do? He says, I know what we'll do. We'll put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. So that's what they did. They made the Israelites slaves. It's, it's interesting to me that, and this is the first principle I think where we can see our story. <clears throat> I, I think sin subtly takes us into captivity. Sin suddenly subtly subtly like sneakily deceptively takes us into captivity this this group of israelites had no intentions of being slaves they just came for the food they came because there was a famine 430 years later there's a government change and all of a sudden they're made slaves that's subtle. That's sneaky. And all of a sudden, they're captives. They're not just peers. They're not just co-workers or cohabitors of a land. They're all, all of a sudden slaves. And I think sin kind of does that. Let me define sin. Okay, sin is anything that we think or say or do that we should not think or say or do or anything that we don't do that we should do according to God's standards. Okay, you got that? Anything that you think or say or do you shouldn't think or say or do according to what God says in the Bible or anything you don't do that you should do according to what God says in the Bible. That's a sin. Sin does this to us. Takes us captive. I think it's interesting when I think about the Israelites 430 years later. So, if you have 430 years of slavery, you would be born into slavery. You wouldn't even know anything different. And this subtle change where they were just friends and, yeah, this is great. Yeah, Joseph, you're the man. And then, ah, Joseph, who? I don't think I know him. And then, wait, we want you to do some work for us and then, you know what, we want you to be our slaves and now whoosh, you're our slaves and you have these generations still being born. You had hundreds of thousands of people who would not have known anything else except slavery. They would have just been born into it. They would have been born a captive and had no idea that they shouldn't have been born captive or should have. I, I thought about a, um, a cult <clears throat> So Branch Davidians, Waco, Texas. Remember? Remember this? You know who this guy is? Somebody tell me. David Koresh. David Koresh. That's right. The Branch Davidians were, were founded in 1955. David Koresh joined them in uh, 1981. He became their leader. Um, but I think about this cult and I think there were, there were many, 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 many children born between 1955 and 1993 when the raid happened at at Waco, Texas who were born into the Branch Davidians and had no idea that they were in a cult. It was normal. Generation after generation. And, And somebody could shake them and say, don't you realize you're in a... And they would say, no, this is normal because they wouldn't know anything different. Well, this is the Israelites This is the Israelites. They've been slaves for so long that 430 years, they have no idea what freedom is. Which, down the road a little ways, and we'll learn about this in a couple weeks, but when Moses came and said, I'm going to make you free, they would have been like, what? What is that? Sin subtly takes us captive. I wrote this on, the story in Exodus begins with a group of people living in the only place they had ever known. They'd been there 430 years and they didn't become captive on purpose, they found themselves in slavery. and It's the same way with sin, we are born into captivity, we're born into sin. David said it this way in Psalm 51, verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me born into sin this is this is how Paul wrote it in Romans 3 verses 10 and 11 as it is written there is no one righteous not even one there is no one who understands there is no one who seeks God the Israelites were captive in Egypt and our sin everybody's born with sin we're we're the same in that story They were born into slavery, we are born with sin. Our our story meets with their story, it's the sad plight of every human being who were born in need of rescue with no power to deliver ourselves from bondage. Many of us don't even recognize that this is true, but none of us are born in a right relationship with God. Let's keep reading Exodus. Here's what the Israelites, what it meant for them. Verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. This is, I see, I see us in this. Let me, let me show you how. Because I, I think that sin, not only is it, is it our, our captor, but sin quickly turns from provider to our oppressor. Here's here's what I mean. I think <clears throat> I think sin begins by telling us that it will provide something for us that we think is good. But ultimately, it just oppresses us. Like the nation Israel, our relationship with sin often begins with a provision. Israel had fled to Egypt because they needed food. They sought refuge there. They needed shelter and they found it and they lived there 430 years. I think in our own lives, sin makes us feel right. It often feels empowering, energizing, adventurous. It can even appear to offer us freedom. Here, here's, think about this. Think, think about it this way. Prescription drugs provide relief but they oppress in addiction. Drink, drinking, smoking. Oh, it provides me relaxation after work, but oppresses in abuse. That male or female friend who provides a listening ear that eventually turns into an affair. The inappropriate movie or TV show that provides entertainment and then quickly turns into pornography and a vice in our life. The money that we begin to make, which provides freedom and opportunity, can quickly turn into an oppressive lifestyle of expectations and stress for more and more and more. I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that sometimes it feels good for a season but we must not be deceived. Sin quickly turns from a provider to an oppressor. <laughs> I think most of us <clears throat> have pet sins. And I think we think we can manage them. The truth is, you and I have no power to manage sin. It's one of the great deceptions that Satan sells us. The sin we keep in our lives is a lot like a wild animal. <clears throat> I, I read all the time. Maybe you guys aren't amused by this stuff. I'm, I'm amused. I even smirk when I read this stuff. I'm amused all the time at the numbers of people who think they can have wild animals and domesticate them. And then you read about how it has ended poorly. I have some pictures Okay, this is Teddy the Black Bear. Teddy the Black Bear was raised from a cub and then killed its owner when she went out to feed him. How about the Red Stag? There's a big old deer that uh, a Texas farmer found by the side of the road. He kept him as a pet until he was gored to death. By this uh, deer. 500 pound deer. Kind of reminds me of more like a caribou, (laughs) something larger than a deer. This this pit bull is named Scarface. And everybody knows that pit bulls are gentle and loyal. Boy, they just love their owners. They will protect their owners and do anything at all costs. So we're going to have a pit bull because they're just so great with my children until they're not. This pit bull killed his owner and then partially ate her because you can you can't manage you cannot train you cannot control a wild animal but what if they're just fat and friendly like humphrey the hippo well then you can right this is humphrey the hippo 1.2 tons Humphrey was left by his mom when he was a baby. A 500-pound baby, but a baby. And his owner found him and, and loved him. In fact, this is what his owner said in an article in a newspaper shortly before his demise. He said, Humphrey is like a son to me. He's just like a human. There's a relationship between me and Humphrey And that's what some people don't understand. Humphrey ate his owner. And they never found him. In fact, hippopotamuses kill more people each year than lions, giraffes, elephants, and rhinoceroses combined. Eh, little known fact. You can read that on Snapple. Come for the hippo. Sometimes our sin looks fat and lovable. And we think we can manage it. This is Gypsy the python. We know that snakes are fine, right? Yeah. Lovable, docile. Gypsy killed the owner's toddler. And they said, they said, as they were being sentenced to 12 years, the husband and wife, to prison, they said, we were shocked because Gypsy was so docile. And I would say, you can't domesticate wild animals. And then we do that with sin. You see, the, the problem, the, the reason I put Gypsy up there is because Oftentimes, our sin does not, does not kill us, but it destroys the people around us that we love. Gypsy was not the toddler's pet, it was the mom and dad's pet. There are dozens of stories of lions and tigers and bears, oh my, killing their owners, and mountain lions and giraffes, and like that. It's endless because you can't take a wild animal and domesticate it just like we can't take our sin and think we can manage it. Oh, you don't understand. No, I just do it for entertainment. It's fine. No, you don't understand. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I need it, but just a little of it, but I'm fine. Well, I'm never going to go that far. I can handle it. Sin quickly turns from provider, either providing entertainment or providing relief or providing something to captor. And there are millions and millions of stories to prove it. The Bible talks about it how sin is a pathway to oppression and pain. It, in uh, Romans 6, Paul says, the wages of sin or the payment for sin or what we owe because we sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. James, in James 1, 13, 14, 15, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, the Israelites had good intentions about going to Egypt to get food and shelter. Ultimately, they got relief, they, they were fat and happy, and then eventually egypt the Egyptians turned and their provision turned quickly into captivity and oppression. I think we do the same thing with our sin. I think uh, we find some relief in sin. We find some joy in sin. We find some relaxation in sin. We find some margin in our life in sin and and compromise. And before we know it, we don't even realize we're compromising. And before we know it, people are saying, well, why are you, what are you? And you're like, no, no, no. And, And before we know it, We are being controlled by our sin. And ultimately, because it is like a wild animal, it destroys us. Or if not us, the people around us. Abusing drugs and alcohol, affairs, pornography, immorality, all have the same effect. They appear to offer something we want, only to deliver death. Sin pretends to to provide the solutions we're looking for, but ultimately takes much more from us than it ever gives us. It even brought death to the Israelites. Let's keep reading in our story. Verse verse 15 of chapter 1. The, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, so those ladies who were helping the Hebrew mothers give birth to their children, whose names were... Shifra and, and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Pharaoh had a plan to eliminate the Hebrews by eliminating the boys. He eventually instructed all of his people, all the Egyptians, that if they saw any baby boys, they needed to grab them and throw them in the Nile River. See, sin leads to death. Ultimately, Pharaoh was leading his people to kill off the Israelites. It's such a clear picture of what sin does. It offers Power, but it delivers only death. I, I wrote this down. Sin, sin offers relief and life, but delivers pain and death. And the problem with sin is it's not immediate. Our consequences are not immediate. Wouldn't, wouldn't we fear sin so much more if it was immediate? Like the consequences, boom, oh. But it's not. It's like the 430 years the Egyptians had with the Israelites. 430 years, a lot can happen. It kind of just sneaks up on you. It's the same way in our lives with sin. But there is hope. There's hope. Freedom from sin begins with fearing God. We see this in, in uh, verses 17, 18, 19, 20. So let's, let's read that. The midwives, so the ones that were supposed to kill the babies, the baby boys, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. We had no choice. Those babies were popping out before we even got there. That's kind of what their excuse was. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families of their own. Freedom from sin begins with a fear of God. And these two midwives, these two ladies, had a love and fear for their God much more than they feared Pharaoh. And God ultimately <clears throat> honored them. He was kind to them. He gave them families their own. As a follower of Jesus, I can also find freedom from sin. I do not have to be controlled by sin. You do not have to be controlled by sin. But Brett, you don't understand. This sin has got me. Like I cannot get out of it. You do not have to be controlled by sin. The Bible says that. Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin is no longer your master. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have asked God to forgive your sins and come into your heart and life and lead you, if you have surrendered the control of your life to God, the Bible says you are no longer a slave to sin. You and I are not slaves to sin if we are followers of Jesus. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it means we're not held captive. Here's what Romans 6, 17, 18 says this. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, that we were all born slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. We have freedom from sin. We don't have to go back or keep it close or try to manage it or make it our pet. The problem is it's fun. And it looks like it provides escape. So what do we do with that? So what? I think there's two categories of people in this room today. There's a category of you that that maybe has never found freedom from sin. Maybe you've you've never asked God to forgive you and come into your life and be your leader and your forgiver. You are a slave to sin. There is nothing you can do until you recognize that in your life. Uh, Romans 10 says, If we confess with our mouth... Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. John 3.16 is very familiar. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but has eternal life. There is a way to get freedom from the slavery of sin. There's a second group of people, though, here, and I think most of us in this room are living in this one. And we have pet sins. We have those sins that just, they're just not that bad. They're just, I think I could even explain it away. But we're playing with fire. And I I don't know what that looks like in, in your life. I don't know what that is but i but i do know that god offers freedom from sin and and sin is sneaky because it's subtle and it sneaks up on us and you know what it can be our thought life and the things that are in our heads and the things we dwell on it can be our time management it can be how we eat and treat our bodies. It can be how we treat other people. It could be our attitudes. It could be what we watch on TV. It could be what we listen to on the radio. Those are, those are all sin areas, potentially. It could even be the fact that you never talk about Jesus to anybody else. There's a sin of Silence. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. What is that sin that snuck up on you and used to be a provider and became an oppressor in your life? I I, uh, I think there's also a freedom from guilt of past sin. And I think many, many live with the guilt of what they've done in the past. And Satan can leverage that in our lives to paralyze us and cause us to feel like we're worthless or useless. But we can have freedom from that. Our fear of God and our desire to obey him needs to be larger than our love for the pleasure of sin. I was, I was taught a long time ago to the replacement principle. Stop doing wrong by starting to do right. If I'm going to cut this out of my life, I need to replace it with this. And so I'm going to change a behavior, but I'm not just going to leave a void but I'm gonna change your behavior and I'm gonna replace it with something good. I, I think of Joseph, and if you're looking for a story to read about somebody who got freedom from sin, Joseph, under under no-doing of his own, in in, in uh, Genesis 39, had had a, and Joseph was a teenager, had a woman chasing after him. And she continued to say, Come to bed with me. We're told that Joseph said, No. And she persisted day after day after day after day. <clears throat> well, that's a, that's a tough sin for a teenage boy. But he says in, uh, in Genesis 39, I, I love this verse, he refused and it says, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That was his answer. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It wasn't, how could I do such a wicked thing? I might lose my job. How could I do such a wicked thing? Maybe you'll get pregnant. How could I do such a wicked thing? I'm wasting time. I'm on the clock. No. It was, how could I do such a wicked thing against my God? His fear for God, his love for God was stronger than his desire for sin. The question really is, do I love God? Do I love God enough to obey Him? Because I think we know a lot up here, but it's just that we have to actually apply it and live that way. I'll tell you what, sin subtly, sneakily comes on and captures us. It, 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 it switches from a provider <laughs> right to a, an oppressor. And it's so easy to see that in other people's lives. It's so hard to see it in our own lives. I see it through a window in your life, can't see it in the mirror in mine. So what is that sin? What is that sin? Next week, we're going to continue the story of how God delivers these people, the Israelites, from captivity in Egypt. Just like he, God, wanted to deliver them from Egypt, he wants to deliver us from sin. Think about that this week. We have a God who loves us so much, he wants something for us that's better than what we have. Do we love him like he loves us? Let's let's close in prayer. Father thank you so much for your love for me. I I don't deserve it. I surely didn't earn it. And quite honestly there's a lot of times when I don't when I don't live in a way that that would make anybody want to love me. And yet you love me. God I I am sure that all of us, if we were stuck on the spot, could come up with with sin in our lives that that we've given a toehold to. I pray that you'd help us. Help us to see sin for what it is. It's just a wild animal that's going to destroy us. It just sneaks up and grows and grows and grows. Help us. Help us to be, I, I, I guess help us to love you more this week than we did last week. And Father, there's some here, I'm sure, that are wrestling with this idea of, have I ever got freedom from slavery to sin? I pray that they would know that you love them and that you want something, you have something better for them than than sin does. God, we live in an awful, awful world and Sin is all around us, it's at our doorsteps, it's on our phones, it's on our computers, it's on our TVs, it's everywhere, on the billboards, in the news. and We just need your help. We need your protection. Help us, help us fall in love with you more. In Jesus' name, amen.